Hello language lovers and welcome to episode 4, season 2 of Life in a Second Language with your host, me, a comedian named Spring Day. Real name. Not kidding. It's true. Now, I think speaking a second language is the closest thing humans can get to having an actual superpower. Well, speaking a language and being able to crack an egg open with one hand is pretty cool, too. On this podcast, I talk to creative people from all over the world about what it's like to live, work, study, and love in a second language. Sometimes, oftentimes, in adult language, so this podcast may not always be appropriate for young ears. Just saying. Now, uh, if you speak two or more languages, hopefully you can relate to what we get into on this podcast, or if you're thinking about dabbling in foreign languages for the very first time, we can give you a hint of what you may or may not be in for, and let you know of some opportunities you didn't even know existed. Well, well, it's been quite a couple of weeks. America has voted to oust a president with a vocabulary smaller than his hands and voted to put in a president who speaks in complete sentences and has a wife who can use an Oxford comma. (laughs) That's progress, people. At the time this episode comes out, Trump is still putting America's security in danger by refusing to concede the election results. And waiting for Trump to concede feels like waiting for torrents to download on Pirates Bay. I'm excited, but also absolutely terrified that everything I care about is going to get destroyed in the process. On top of that, Melania Trump is refusing to speak to First Lady-elect Jill Biden, which I totally understand. I mean, I wouldn't want to be left alone with an English teacher if I was responsible for naming my very own campaign the best. (laughs) Would you? That said, there have been some initiatives started by the current administration to encourage people to study foreign languages. I know, why would they do that when they barely speak English themselves? Three weeks ago, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo started an initiative to encourage Americans to learn foreign languages in order to, quote, protect our country and find out what people are saying behind our backs, especially if they're Chinese. And it could help you with your career, in that if you call your boss a shithead in a foreign language he doesn't understand, he can't fire you. In any case, studying any one of these 15 languages high on the current administration's list will at least help to make sure the tattoos you get on vacation say what they're supposed to say. And as disappointing as this current administration continues to be, it is nice to know that there are some monetary incentives for undergrad and graduate students in America to study foreign languages. If you go to studyabroad.state.gov, there are lists of programs available offering up to $5,000 of financial aid to study abroad in these 15 critical foreign languages that are listed there. Judging from the list, they really, really, really want people to study Mandarin and German. I'm guessing so they can better understand the new economic and democratic leaders of the world. It's worth taking a look at. Today's guest is the lovely Italian comedian, writer, and actor based in the UK, Luca Capani. We talk about why he's proficient in Latin and ancient Greek, his translation experience, why and when it would be useful to, quote, not have an accent, and why if he'd met his Italian wife in English, they probably never would have gotten married. 
Luca is an extremely talented comedian, and you should check him out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, all that jazz, all over the internet, at Luca Cupani. That's L-U-C-A-C-U-P-A-N-I. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I hope you do too. Now it's time for our conversation with the amazing Luca Capani. I am so happy for you to join us today. We have a really special guest. Please welcome to the show, comedian, writer, actor, Luca Capani. Hello, hello. Thank you, Spring, for having me. I'm so happy and excited to be here. Thanks. <laughs> It's always, always a joy to talk to you, but we should probably get started. What is your native language and what other languages do you speak? I, my native language is Italian. I speak English the way I, I do, so very broken sometimes and with a thick accent, but that's it. And uh, I've studied at school and at university, so I was proficient in uh, Latin and ancient Greek, class Greek. From what age? Uh, 14 till 24, 23. So yeah, five years at school and four years at university. And was this by choice or were you forced to do this? No choice. I chose the, the high school that taught this because that's the problem. It was required if you wanted to be an archaeologist. And when I made my choice, I was 13, 14 years old. There was Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I remember... Sean Connery asking his son Indiana to count in Greek or something and I thought oh yes I'm gonna do that I stick to it and it classics and I, I love the ancient culture but I never did archaeology so yeah it was so when when did you realize archaeology wasn't the action-packed career you thought it was on the first lesson at uni because it was a, a subject you could choose and I was full on. I said, okay, this is the moment. I'm here. And it was so boring. We had to study some badly photocopied blueprint of a former temple. But maybe it wasn't a temple. And nobody knew what it was about. And it was all about analyzing the concrete that they used in the Roman age. The, the teacher was excited. This might be where they, used, they had the toilet. And I said, no, I don't want to study. I don't want to know Really, no. It's, uh, I, I know that it was a long shot to get the ancient idol or some treasure, but really the toilet that wasn't even functioning anymore. So I thought, no, it's not for me. It's, it's so technical and useless. But you did study it for a few years in high school before yes. that. Yes, because I was uh, hoping to become an archaeologist right. and I liked it. Then I moved to uni. Mm -hmm. to become an archaeologist. But the first lesson was so bad, I switched to ancient history and ancient literature because at least there were people doing something, mainly, again, something fake, like, you know, epic and mythology is nothing real, but it's good. It's like a good values, virtues, God and goddesses. The payoff seemed more rewarding than finding out whether or not this lump of stone was a toilet or not. Yes, because uh, to be a good archaeologist, you need to know a lot of technical things, the same as an engineer, probably. But mm -hmm. at least an engineer might 
build a bridge or a building that someone is using. An archaeologist is doing a reverse engineer on finding something that is not, I know, it can be very fascinating, can be very good, Mm -hmm. but it's not for me, it's too boring, the process of going and through these uh, technical things. So I, I thought, no, I like literature and history more than, but I kept studying Classical Greek, ancient Greek, and Latin are beautiful languages, mm-hmm. but yes, they're not uh, not very useful. Just beautiful. Did you study those languages before you studied English? Uh, no. So I studied English when I was uh, eleven years old. That's the thing. Now in Italy, I know things have have changed, but. Back on the, those days, I started studying English when I was 11 years old and I stopped when I was 15. Mm-hmm. And then it was just Greek and Latin. So that's a, <laughs> a good choice. And at the uni, at uni I had no uh, languages. So I did the private uh, lessons because at some point I realized oh, the Roman Empire is, is gone. It's not going to be <laughs> available anytime soon. Now English is the language everyone is, is using. So maybe it's better to focus on something that people can talk. And that was a big, big shift for me because when you study something that is only meant to be read, you focus on the grammar. But when you study English, you need to be prepared to this variety of, of languages, accent, and the way people speak the slang. A lot of things that weren't a problem, an issue in, in uh, studying Latin or Greek, it became a, a problem or something to learn in, in studying English for me. I was too grammar-centered. I was very focused on grammar, how to build a sentence, and it's not something that English native speakers do. So, But do you think that having all of that knowledge helped you when you later decided to study English? It helped me in writing and spelling. So I, I don't make many mistakes in spellings. It didn't prepare me for the real daily language that you hear in London. The first time I met, I went to see a comedy show, I understood half of was the comedian. I remember one of the one of the first comedians said, "Oh, I'm a proper geezer," and I just spent the rest ten minutes trying to figure out what a geezer was because it wasn't uh, in any of the text. When you do when you study, they teach you how to write a formal letter. They mm-hmm. teach you how to read an article and geezer wasn't so i lost half of the show just trying to think what a geezer what what a geezer is so you you strike me as someone that pays attention to detail yes a little bit yes i have to say that as someone who has taught english as a second language for many years understanding half of a comedy show is quite impressive (laughs) especially if there's no visual cue other than their face you know yeah my first uh, the first comedy shows as i attended as an audience member allowed me to focus on the body language Mm -hmm. so i i enjoy to see oh he's on he's in control he's not the very first show i i've seen was um no the the very first show i did but it was the second i've seen was the gong show at the comedy store Mm -hmm. and uh, you could tell when they were about to give someone a red card, even without understanding almost anything of the language, by the way, they were uncomfortable on stage. Mm. You knew when they were losing the... And it has nothing to do about the way your uh, your body is. It's just about the energy. Someone looks comfortable on stage, no matter what they look like, that they are that comfortable. Even when they are maybe goofy, they are goofy in a way that is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Other people are 
nervous no matter how much they try to stay stiff and uh, in a sort of martial very very powerful uh, mm -hmm. stance and it doesn't work you can say no and the audience mm -hmm. don't buy it for a second that was another good thing to learn they straight away can tell if you're good or not to, for, for that stage earlier you said that you decided to get private lessons to study English because you wanted to learn a language that people were actually using How long did you study that way before you went somewhere where people spoke it? Two and a half years. I would say three, but it was two and a half years. After my graduation, I started taking lessons once, so twice a week. And then I did, yeah, twice a week. Uh, in a, there was a, the teacher was a, a native speaker, so that helped. Mm -hmm. Finally, because another thing back on the day, maybe now things are changed, but in Italy, there weren't many teachers that uh, at school you had Italian teachers teaching you English, so their accent wasn't much better than mine. Maybe they haven't spent two weeks in the U UK or America in, in years, so they don't know much about it. There wasn't internet. Like, now, you can see a lot of original language. Um, you, you can watch Netflix in any language you want. Right. Again, in those years, in the 90s, it wasn't that easy. So they focused on grammar, once again, because grammar is there for everyone to learn as a mm -hmm. sort of universal rule. And yes, yeah, so I, I remember, yeah, I studied for two and a half, three years, and then I came here and I tried to make it work. How long did it take you to get comfortable using and understanding English in London? Because I know that me as an American English speaker, the first time I ever came to London, which I think was like 2003, I think I said, what, what, what for a solid week? Because it's <laughs> so different from what I was used to. How about you? I started feeling more comfortable. I would say at least one year to be finally comfortable in uh, uh, getting to, to use some phrasal verb, understanding what they say, uh, those uh, little words they put in between a sentence that's uh, in it, you know, this, uh, that at the beginning, I said, why is in it? And now you know, okay, you can, you can ignore if you want, no, you don't have to answer to in it, it's just <laughs> what I say. But, but then I went to Scotland, so I... <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get, I still have some trouble when I go to the to Edinburgh. It's, um, I like the way they sound. What, what do you like about the sound? It's, I like the way they use the R more than I, I would, the same I used, I, I would do it. I think they are more, um, they crunch every letter in a way, like more, they don't uh, throw them away like a, uh, Like Leicester, you know, in English is Leicester. Right. I, I like the, I don't know, but yes, it's, um, they have a nice sound. I could listen to them for a long time, maybe without understanding much of it. It's different. It's, and I, I don't know how to say, but it made me feel a bit more confident on my accent. Like I was very, I know I cannot learn. I learned too late, so I cannot have a proper English accent. But then I thought, you know what? There's Scotland. They don't have a proper English accent either. Mm -hmm. And they're fine. So it's what I like of this is that people, native speakers, are, in my experience, are very supportive. As long as you make yourself understand, they will make an effort. They don't expect you to be perfect. Mm. This is my feeling. That's very common, I think. People want to sound like native speakers as much as possible. However, I will say, as my experience, I have a very good Japanese accent when I meet people initially, especially on the phone. And so for the first two or three minutes, people think I'm a native Japanese speaker until I make wow. a mistake. 
And then they just think I'm stupid. Then when I say, oh, no, 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 I'm a foreigner. I'm not a native speaker. Then they go, oh, okay. Oh, you speak Japanese really well. <laughs> There's that as well. Oh. So having a foreign accent isn't necessarily a terrible thing because it gives you space to make some mistakes that if native speakers made those mistakes, they would just be discounted entirely. It helps them to know your background a little bit. Yes, gives you leeway, kind of, yes, there's a more tolerance. I would love to be so proficient and to, well, I would love to have a good British accent, but then I would like to keep mine as well. Like, I would like to be able to switch if requested. Mm -hmm. Like if there's a casting, if they want someone who speaks perfect English, I would be able to deliver that level. But my English is the one that sounds like I do now. I don't know. It's like, uh, this is my English. So if you could have anyone's accent, who would you like to sound like? Um, Ian McKellen. I mean, <laughs> so you don't want to sound like anyone. You want to sound like an iconic British <laughs> voice uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. but that's great yeah yeah is that i want to sound like ian mckellen i'm not i'm not blaming you <laughs> it's it's a great why i mean that's i could talk to myself and listen to myself uh all night long just oh i i could praise myself like in the mirror look at you're doing a great job but with that voice and then i would believe in I want you, I want you to practice Ian McKellen's accent and then do a bunch of material about growing up in Italy and, and the challenges you had learning. I, I think that would be fascinating. I could listen to that all day. That'd be great. <laughs> I'll do. I will try to, yeah, I will work on it. It's so funny. I had, I had an agent that sent me to a, a commercial audition. It's really funny because she said, oh, this is perfect for you. This is the perfect audition for you. And she sent me a copy and it said, we are looking for people that do not look like models. And that sentence was highlighted and underlined. He said, we want people that look like they shop at Tesco. Wow. I was like, okay, I feel pretty. And then uh, <laughs> I went to the audition and realized it was an audition for um, a commercial for the lottery. Oh, okay. And as soon as I opened my mouth, I knew I wouldn't get it because no one wants to hear a foreigner win the lottery. Oh, yeah. Right? Yes, which is, yes. But the lottery is democratic. Everyone buy a ticket. Yeah, so, everyone can buy a ticket, um, but you still have to live where you bought it to claim the ticket. I don't buy a ticket very often. Sometimes I did. Yeah. And, I mean, it would be fair if I win. I'm, I'm buying a ticket in a news agent in a corner shop, exactly where I was supposed to do. I'm paying it with pounds. Mm -hmm. So if you don't want any foreigner, to, you should stop me before. It's, can I see your passport? <laughs> we don't want your money. And then I accept. Okay, sorry. I didn't know it was just, I didn't know it was just a British thing. I accept it. But if you take my money, then I want to take it back if I win. I don't see. Yeah, I don't see the problem with it either. But I also understand that it's it's against the expectation because you want someone. So your your internal voice is, I want someone like me to win it. She doesn't sound like me. Yes, but I could have twisted, like say, uh, don't let Forner win your ticket. Go and buy them all before <laughs> spring uh, can buy them, you know, something like that, actively encouraging you to do your patriotic duty, sweep all the tickets, buy them all, otherwise a foreigner will take them. <laughs> 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 That's 
that's one way to <laughs> use know. nationalism for good. Yeah. So come on, what are you doing? I think they should cast, send them my, my details as well. We can do the old foreigner trying to buy a ticket so that they can do an entire, you know, I'm happy to be paid to promote a foreigner with a thick accent. I will yeah. buy a house in Lake Como if I win. Don't let Luca fulfill his dreams. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let Luca steal your winning lottery ticket. <laughs> yes. I <laughs> I think we have a campaign that will flourish in Brexit UK. <laughs> I, I'm sure. I do want to ask, is there an Italian equivalent to Pig Latin? Why, why is it Pig, pig Latin? Sorry, because I, I might... Okay. So Pig Latin is a play language that children think they invent. So what you do is you take the first letter of the word, put it at the end of the word, and then add the sound A. And they usually use it for bad words. So like fuck you is akfe uye. Oh, no, I don't. I never had this. We, we change. When you're little, you change a bit the square words. So like they start the same way and then you end up in something very anticlimactic that spoils <laughs> all the pleasure in swearing. But right. uh, no, I never, not that I know. You don't, no. maybe some, I don't know if someone tries to maybe speak backward, but just as a game for a few, then you get bored of it. No, usually I don't, I don't think, yeah, I never, no. Okay. So how is no? How does it work? So okay, so the first sound of the word goes to the yeah. end of the word, and then you add okay. the vowel sound a. So fuck so, becomes akfe. Akfe, okay. And then you is uye. Okay. yeah. So I should be ukle ukale. Who am I in Pig Latin? My name is ukale. Ukle. Ukle. Upanike. Yeah. No, I don't think they have, because it sounds a, a, a real language, like you nearly need to to work on it. And in Italy, we don't, we're not that good at languages. So we don't, um, what happens, there's a, a dialect. So there's a local language. Sometimes it's very different from Italian. Mm-hmm. And uh, you speak it at, uh, at home with your parents or grandparents. So what happens sometimes, you switch from Italian in an official situation, like uh, if you're a kid at school, you speak Italian to the to the teacher, but maybe your classmates, you speak uh, more uh, this, this dialect. So, and that's where you are more uh, genuine, like yourself, less unfiltered. It's, it's strong in some uh, areas. So like Naples, they usually, they speak their language. Venice, they have uh, the same, something maybe in the north. Uh, Did you have but, this language? Did you have a dialect that you had access to? There was, there's a dialect in my hometown, which is uh, Bologna, but uh, my parents never taught me. So I understand it, but I don't, uh, I can't speak it properly because it is it's transmitted in an oral way. So mm. it's, uh, that now I know that they do also some course now. They try to make it, keep it alive. But I don't, again, it's a problem with accent. I don't want to fail with a wrong accent in what is supposed to be my native, native language. So I never attempted to. Uh, I just use some word randomly because this happens sometimes. You use, you take word from this language mm-hmm. and you incorporate in your Italian uh, thinking that it's that everyone will understand. And then when you change your city or you meet someone from another place, you realize you're uh, saying things in a 
not necessarily wrong in a way that nobody understands. I see. Yeah, I think that's true probably within the UK, right? There's certain expressions. Like when I listen to like an Irish podcast, there's about 25% of the terms. I'm not sure what shifting means. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It sounds naughty. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, so I guess that happens pretty much everywhere. What did you find was the best way for you to learn a language? What was the most useful way for you to learn a foreign language? To watch uh, movies or, uh, yes, anything on television, possibly with subtitles in the same languages, Mm -hmm. because uh, it's easier. Because it gives you an idea of the language that is alive. You you can put him in a context. You can say, okay, this is what I say. Problem is, probably the most useful things aren't proper movies because a Kubrick movie doesn't teach you much about real people talk. I mean, like uh, (laughs) if you watch uh, Space Odyssey, oh, wow, no, this is probably would be better to watch as standards, but Mm -hmm. I'm not (laughs) prepared to, to watch is standard so i i compromise to some is there a movie that you kind of i know someone who every year every year at christmas they watch it's a wonderful life and they kind of measure their english understanding by how much more they understand that movie compared to last year oh no i don't have a movie like that but i I watch series on Netflix, uh, and uh, so I try to... Like, I've recently watched The Duchess with uh, Catherine Ryan. Characters, are dif- they are from different places, uh, American, some uh, British. So I like to see the, the sound, the, the different accent and dialect. That was uh, good. And I enjoyed understanding the accent, because this is another thing I didn't uh, learn, especially because living in London, you get used to a sort of international language. Even in, in a comedy club, audiences are from everywhere. Sometimes they are from Europe, so they don't speak English as a first language. And there isn't much from North. You don't meet many people. But then, I mean, at least at the beginning, I didn't meet many people. Now I know better. And now I also I've traveled a little bit more across the UK. So I like when I hear the Northern accent, uh, when I hear the accent from Liverpool, I enjoy it a bit more. Do you think learning English and speaking it fluently now, do you feel that it has changed your personality in any way? Yes, because uh, the good thing, uh, the good thing when you study a language, you Mm -hmm. learn how people think in a different way. The language forces you to, it's sort of a grid. You see the world through the, 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 the way you construct a sentence. For example, in English, you need to go straight to the point. In Italian, you can fudge. Uh, for hours uh, nobody you don't need to be like a uh, thing I find annoying of, of Boris Johnson one of the many things I find annoying <laughs> is that he fudges but through English so all he does is just uh, waffling and uh, repeating some sentence if he did this in Italian he would have uh, it would sound better because Italian politicians when they want to avoid talking about something they can make a big building of words and sentences that makes that means nothing and they just and they bore you to death with this yeah they, they just annoy you what you're saying is going on and on and waffling is kind of built into the language and it's culturally acceptable as part of the yes. package yes because you have also a lot of uh, you start in a way then you you take your time your sweet time talking in italian a lot in english you go to the point 
I cannot translate everything I say in English in an Italian set, for example. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I realize when I try to translate exactly, it's it's very short for the Italian standards because mm. you you start and you get there. And in Italian is more okay. So uh, now I want to say this and that, and they wait patiently for you. So is Italian more flowery? Yes, it's like uh, maybe not always, but you know the Baroque, you know a church, yeah. Anglican church with just yeah. one cross. And that's it. And very high, maybe Gothic church. And imagine Baroque. So a lot of little here, a little angel. And there's a lady and there's Jesus. And again, baby Jesus. And then we have a bit of candles and incense and the lights plays with everything. But it's still a church. You just added a lot of stuff that are not necessary, but looks good. So, and you sometimes you can hid something in the details. Because that's what they used to do in the, even churches. They, they had secret messages in a way. They follow in in a they let less bear I don't know so is is Italian more of a high context language or a low context language than English you would say would you mean English is very low context meaning you have to get to the point you have to the speaker is responsible for communicating a clear message whereas high context is the listener is more responsible for deciphering and understanding what's being said. I would say high context, definitely, because, uh, yeah, it's a lot of... Um, nobody wants to take responsibility for what they are saying because they there's always a way for you to say, oh, you thought this, but actually, yeah, well, especially in politics, yes, definitely. They The prime minister says something in those times of, pandemic when the prime minister makes an announcement then it's up to us to understand how can we respond to what is said was it clear and the great politicians in italy are those who managed to make everyone happy with the same sentence and you don't know who's winning who and say okay so i was right no clearly i was right but he also said yes but he also said it's it's i would say high context uh yes but I prefer probably the English way of thinking. It forces me to be direct. Although I have to say, my wife, she's Italian, but she speaks English much better than me. She has a good accent. Mm -hmm. At least for my ear, she is a good accent. But when she speaks... It sounds a bit posh for me, so if because sometimes we we speak in English because I wanted to improve, I want to exercise. Can we speak English? And I feel like if she she's judging me and saying, mm, I don't know if I could fall in love with her if she were <laughs> British with this accent. I prefer. <laughs> I'm glad we met speaking Italian because. <laughs> so she's too posh, Mister. I want to sound like Ian McKellen. Her voice yes. is too posh. <laughs> Ian McKellen is a good character. <laughs> <laughs> a, yeah, well, yes, yes. But not a, posh at all. He's a very working class sounding man. Yeah. <laughs> well, is <laughs> is Gandalf uh, uh, upper class? You, you never know. I'd say anyone who has access to magic is pretty comfortable in their living circumstances. <laughs> Maybe went to a grammar school. We don't know the education of. <laughs> Of Gandalf. I think he could have won a scholarship. I believe he was granted a scholarship. Um, <laughs> and Magneto was a, was a kind of a working class. I don't know. I'm not sure about it. That's a hard one. But again, being able to bend metal at your will and his abilities made him middle class very quickly. <laughs> 
but he wasn't given free meals at school. So he had to break the door to steal food. Yeah. Probably my wife would fall in love with myself, even if I sound like Ian McKellen. Although I'm not sure. Maybe that's the immigrant yeah, with, because, within me. Yeah, because falling I, in love with someone that sounds like Ian McKellen is a huge sacrifice to make. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I find that really interesting because, okay, you're both Italian. Did you meet in the UK or did you meet? Yes. In- no, we, we met in London. And she's very good at catching uh, the, the accent. She, she, she speaks much better. I, I, I don't know. I, I cannot, but that's okay. You're selling yourself short. I mean, your grammar and your vocabulary is pretty impressive. Oh, and I say that as a professional teacher, don't sell yourself. No, okay. No, I'm not selling, but the accent is something I, I, is, there's like a barrier for me. Mm-hmm. I don't believe myself when I try to sound uh, British. So I, can you try right now? I can I can try, but I can't. Say, no, no, we'll start with something small. Say what? 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 That's pretty what? close. What? Okay. Yeah. What? What? Yeah. Yeah. Baby steps. Yeah. But which uh, class do you advise me to try to, like, because there's a proper accent for every class in this society. And I, something I didn't know about when I, before moving here. This is a... Mm-hmm. I've asked the same question because I want to also learn a British accent for job reasons and things like that. And maybe getting a winning lottery uh, <laughs> commercial job next time. But um, everyone has said to me, I think that's called RP, whatever oh, they yes. on BBC. That's, that's, yeah, that, that would be my dream. Because the working class accent is very different from the middle upper class. And, yeah. uh, and it's also different area to area. My husband, my now my husband, uh, he teases me because whenever we talk to a working class geezer, my Midwestern American accent gets thicker. <laughs> and and so like the other day the the tesco delivery man came and he was like hey how are you doing I was like, oh thank you very much sir thank you <laughs> like, I was and um and i think it's because his patter and his small talk is very similar to my dad's and so it just makes me feel like i'm talking to my dad and i'm like yeah okay thank you very much yeah, that's true. Because I never know about the, I didn't know about the class system. It's, I knew about India, but this is <laughs> close to, I mean, in a way, it's really, um, how can you say, it's part of the fabric of the country, this sure. uh, system. I don't know. I don't know if it's, a, I don't think it's, it's a great thing. It exists in America too. Like we just don't acknowledge that it exists. But um, does it not exist in Italy? Uh, well, I had friends in, when I grew up from every class because the main difference is is about money. So, of course, if someone is from a wealthy family, they will have a bigger house, a better car, they will go on a holiday in better places. But still, you can share with them the same uh, pizza, the same uh, pizza place. You can have a lot of time together. It's not. Uh, I didn't feel it growing up as a mm. problem. I, I remember in the same class, uh, we had uh, people were, whose father was maybe a surgeon or a very famous lawyer and uh, someone working in a factory. And we were in the same class and went, would go to the same uh, place after school. Then, mm-hmm. of course, when you had a birthday party, then you could see the difference from the houses and the very rich. I remember when they, we turned 18, there were three classmates and they 
were able to throw a like a sort of debutante party like oh a, wow a debutante ball yeah like i received an invitation signed by the parents of someone who was sitting like three uh, desks from uh, in my classroom like uh, we are very proud to announce that our daughter is uh, turning 18 so you had to it was a black tie event <laughs> i had to rent a tuxedo in a place where you rent theater uh, costume for theater <laughs> <laughs> and I, I personally, I wanted the one with the, there was a, a wonderful thing like Henry the Eighth. So I want to kind of, I want to dress like Henry the Eighth. It's, it's better. It's more. It's, it's not me anyway. I feel like a fancy dress. So can I? But I couldn't. I have to wear the tuxedo. I didn't know how to. I look like a parody of James Bond because I wasn't. You know, it, it was eighteen. I wasn't even eighteen yet. So mm-hmm. it was just ridiculous. So there were the. That's where I. F- felt the difference because me and some other friends, our parents rented the tuxedo. Mm-hmm. Others got it because uh, they could afford and they were using for every 18 years old of everyone in their circles. So that's the only, but it happened when I was 18, when I really could measure the distance, the difference. You know, you, you shake your hands of your, uh, the, the, the birthday girl and the, the photographer and uh, right. then I never seen, by the way, but I don't want to see it because uh, I looked at the <laughs> So that's the only moment where there was a big difference. Otherwise, uh, you share the same uh, places. Uh, even this, here, it seems that even supermarkets have a sort of tier. Like uh, if you can afford to go to waitress, good for you. Mm-hmm. But things will be slightly more expensive. Uh, if you know your, your place, you go to Lidl, in my case, or Morrison or Tesco. Like there's right. a There's, there's, there's a, a hierarchy. Variety. Yeah, yeah in, in, in Italy, not much. Yes, some places are, maybe you buy something here because it's more expensive, they're more convenient. But then I buy something else there and it's not, nobody feels like uh, not at ease. Here is a bit more structured, I believe. So, so again, going back to you meeting your wife, who's also Italian and speaks Italian. Uh, how much do you speak to her in Italian, and how much do you speak to her in English? Almost always in Italian now. But when I when we started, I wanted to improve, so we tried to do like an hour. Uh, Per day, but it was uh, difficult because we know each other so well, and uh, there are so many things you, we learn to say to each other in our native language that uh, it felt like translating. It could have worked uh, if we had talked about other subjects. Do you feel that you are a different person when you speak English as opposed to Italian? And is your wife? the same person is there because i feel like in japanese i'm much more friendly whereas in english i'm much more rude when i want to be oh i i am a bit more also my wife sounds posh when to me when she mm-hmm. speaks english okay. uh, but i still love her i'm just saying but uh, <laughs> i'm glad we met speaking italian because otherwise maybe i would have been intimidated a bit and uh, i'm maybe sharper in english a bit i like to think i'm more sharp like a bit uh, or darker because mm-hmm. um, i'm i mainly speak english uh, in comedy when i do something that is related to comedy mm-hmm. now because that's that's my the reason i'm here but i am and I like that in the British humor can be very dark and I enjoy it. So you can talk about something dark. In Italian, when I speak Italian as a comedian, um, I don't know, I come across maybe as a... Sometimes I don't get what I'm saying because I, I, I like to drop the, the joke there and nobody picked it up. So I say, okay, fix it up. So, But yeah, I, I think we change depending a little bit depending on the language we use. I, I'm convinced... 
of, of this. And uh, yeah, so uh, I would say there's another uh, circumstance when we speak in English, and that's uh, when we are like in the tube or maybe at the airport, and there are some Italian tourists. We don't want them to know that we are Italian. Right. Because um, sometimes, you know, when they are very loud uh, or they, like, they're on the tube and say, oh, okay, so this is uh, Piccadilly, the next one. And they are like excited, like explorer, uh, yeah. saying, oh, there's the second uh, stop. We have to get out. And then they start to, and then maybe they see, they spot an empty seat. So they send the, either the elderly or the younger to sit there. Go, go, go and sit there. And so then it's what I want to not to be associated. So I just be, si- I, I keep silent because mm-hmm. I don't, because I would find out. My wife can speak and I just pretend I'm either Polish or uh, because I look a bit Eastern European or uh, English, but I don't, I just nod and I don't uh, speak much. Have you made a conscious effort in those cases to use less body language? Yes, I just uh, stay still and I stand still and I don't, uh, I, I keep my hands glued to the legs (laughs) because <laughs> uh, I need a lot in Italian. I and normally I like to. I don't know. I feel the need to move my arms uh, and a lot. Yeah. It's part of the language, I think. Yes, for sure, because we have a lot of uh, of a gesture that we use in Italian commonly. So it's like uh, highlighting, making bold what we want to say. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I don't know why. Mm. It's about taking space. Have you ever worked as a translator or interpreter? Once there was a, a, an acting masterclass uh, and the teacher was American and uh, it was for people from every country, but it was a big group of Italians because I was in Italy actually. Yes, that, was, that night was that I was in Italy. Many of them didn't speak English well enough. And since it was a interactive, so, you know, the teacher was giving instruction. So you need to do this and that. Uh, they, they didn't understand. So I was translating for them. How did you find that experience? I liked it, although I realized that I wasn't just translating the sentences. I was also making it a bit softer so that the, the, the teacher was a kind of uh, in your face like you had to do this and that and uh, <laughs> wants to break them and build them and I was the software so okay so you should uh, do this and that and can I just and breathe in and breathe out and a bit, a bit more okay that's okay so I was uh, <laughs> I was the parental version parental control version of the of the teacher. I, I wasn't comfortable in, in swearing. He was swearing a bit. I was just um, pausing before translating the swearing. Did anyone notice that you had been toning down the translation? The, the few Italians who, who, who knew English well enough, they were uh, they noted, but they, they were okay with it. And uh, some other, I don't know if they noted, but they said, oh, Italian is such a sweet language. It's not necessarily. But uh, the way I was uh, using it compared to the, <laughs> rudeness, uh, the occasional rudeness of the teacher, I was, yeah, I was sweet. <laughs> Have you run to any people that are learning Italian in the UK and wanted to practice it with you? Not, m- not to be fair, not many. I think, uh, no, once, but we, we exchange a very, very uh, small talk. So not enough to understand. But I, I remember once uh, there's an Italian uh, bookshop. It's a U- called European bookshop. It's a place where you can buy also Italian. Or, and a lot of uh, people want to study Italian, go there. And I witnessed this conversation uh, between the 
Nebraya, she's Italian, and uh, and a distinct gentleman, British, I would say, probably English, I don't know. And he was buying some books and he was saying something, but it felt like a sort of gibberish for me with Italian words. Yeah. But I couldn't really understand what he was saying. What was he saying? I said, what is this? It's weird. And then, so he was, he wasn't really having a dialogue. He was talking and then buying the books, then left uh, and very happy. But then the librarian told me she had no clue what he was saying, but he's a very good customer. He's doing some classes, but clearly, I don't know, he's, maybe he's aiming too high. Maybe he should take some intermediate. It was, I don't know, it was in a stream of consciousness with a lot of Italian words, but not really put well together. So nobody there to say anything to him. He just had this kind of uh, gibberish and left and we said okay are they sure it wasn't borat <laughs> like yeah it could could be it could be like but it's not a she's not famous so no need maybe it was borat rehearsing something but <laughs> nobody nobody dared to say no they, what <laughs> what are you trying to say this is not everyone was very polite but that i i just I, i'm curious if the guy ends up traveling to maybe maybe he buys a house in Tuscany and then he tries his, his Italian there and, and I don't know I want to see what happens it sounds like a guy that would be interesting to find out the backstory too yes I, I I'm curious like uh, the few times I met people who what happens to me sometimes they know I'm Italian and they say oh I've been to Luca which is a city and it's spelled different with a, with another C and they know my name and say, Oh, your name is Luca. I've been to Luca. And it makes really not much sense because I'm not that city clearly. Cause if you've been there, you know, it's not me. It's a city. It's a little town actually, but yeah. It's yeah. like you meet uh, someone called Francisco. You wouldn't say, Oh, I've been to San Francisco. <laughs> you can say, but then the conversation <laughs> ends. <laughs> what are some of your second language milestones? Okay. Um, being able to watch Game of Thrones without subtitles and at some point being able to understand the fake name or fake region from the actual language or understanding that some uh, idiom, something made no sense in real English, like I'm going to take the black. I remember wondering what take the black means and then I thought oh no it's just their thing is is a is a fantasy thing when you join some fiction world it's not uh, I would never sure. use it probably in a, in a real language uh, that was uh, I, I was happy because oh I can enjoy like because uh, I was able to enjoy all the different languages and and uh, you know they have posh characters and working class characters and people from different areas I, I liked it professionally when I managed to do uh, an improv show called Set List, you know, the Set List. Mm. The, and I didn't do too badly because I was able to invent something on the spot in another language and uh, without making too many mistakes. So that was a, that's still maybe the, my milestone. That's my, my, the best thing I did. And being able to understand more when I speak to someone, even if they come from other places, I knew if, even if I'm not used to their accent. I had to... St- very little milestones. I still need to do much more. I've, my dream one day would to be able to improvise in English and being able to switch between registers, like the formal register and the uh, informal, being able to play with words, to create puns. That's something I would love. Not that I'm, 
I'm not a big fan of puns, but I would love to be able to create them. Have you done improv classes or anything like that? I did a little bit and I I wasn't that good because uh, I couldn't get all the suggestions. Because what happens with, uh, at least in the class of improv, a lot mm-hmm. of actors, students, they will use, again, accents or uh, particular words to give you an idea of their character. Right. So I missed most of those references because, you know, those kind of exercises that you join the scene so you you see the first character and you maybe get it okay he's, he's a i don't know he's a doctor and then the second character enters the scene and uh, and you know that there's something wrong about the character but you don't know what is wrong oh he says something completely wrong but you know what what and that is supposed to be as an invitation for you and you don't know how to do what to do with that because oh i remember once an actor said, oh, I was playing an old lady from Liverpool and I completely missed everything, the the, the lady and Liverpool and uh, I had no idea. Yeah, I, I did a bit of class. I took a bit of classes, but I need to do more. I think you can handle little old lady from Liverpool now. Maybe yes. Yeah. Hopefully yes. But uh, yeah. I think we're down to our last two questions. Okay. First one is, what language do people speak in heaven? According to my church, I'm afraid it would be Latin because I'm <laughs> Catholic. So it's going to be very boring. Right. And, uh, and yes, it's not... Uh, I, I would like for them to speak uh, uh, Italian. It would be easier or something very nice to... Well, you'd certainly have enough time to get your point across in Italian in eternity. Yes. But if I could speak Japanese, at least I can learn Japanese if I have the old eternity to speak Japanese. That's true. So probably Japanese. I could even write by the end of eternity. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good short-term goal. I like it. (laughs) (laughs) I will learn Japanese. You will. And what language do people speak in hell? Oh, wow. I would say some sort of uh, language from some uh, dictatorship in Eastern Europe during the Soviet uh, Something like that. I see hell like a bureaucratic hell. So maybe a sort of uh, not not just Russian. Yes, something difficult to understand, complicated, and that makes. But I don't know. Maybe Russian is is, is actually very beautiful to listen to. But there must be Cambodian, maybe Campuchi, Pol Pot. That 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 was bad. I don't know what. So it's not really a language. It's just a bunch of different people, horrible people from each language. Yeah, but I think if you went to some killing fields in Cambodia, probably that's a modern version of hell. Sure. Something like that. I don't know. I think that's the closest thing to you can imagine to hell. And then after this, I would never be able to perform in Cambodia, probably. So I need to, to be more Tough polished. crowd. <laughs> yeah. Yes, probably. Yeah. Those who are left. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> only the hecklers. Only the hecklers survive thank you so much luca for doing this you're amazing thank you spring thank you very much and please uh, give me some uh, send me some uh, useful tools to try to learn japanese before i go to heaven and i have to practice yeah <laughs> but again again you will have plenty of time to practice once you get to heaven I'm you're sure. very right <laughs> <laughs>